Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Well, for those of you who didn't know it, Ms. O'Toole has been in Europe for the last two weeks. Aber da bei uns war es, als würde sie stillstehen. Hollister, I thought of you because as I was flying to Zurich on Swiss, formerly Swiss Air, guess which movie they were showing on board? Random Hearts? <laughs> well, that's a very good guess. The Divine Order. Do you remember the Swiss movie yes. that we loved oh, yeah, that we one, saw yeah, at the Hamptons yeah. Film Festival? I was going to say, I didn't, I didn't think they would go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, they're a little behind the times, <laughs> but whatever. So at any rate, since last week we did a taped version, we have so much on terms of news to catch up with. I just have to interject with my big, big, big Swiss news. It was one of my life's great highlights. Guess who I bumped into in Zurich? Um, James Bond. <laughs> okay. It's a woman, and she has been... Oh, it has to be Tina Turner, your great love. Yes, it oh. was. I was going to say portrayed by Angela Bassett, her Oscar-nominated turn and what's love got to do with Congratulations. it. Congratulations. It was very thrilling. It really... I was more excited to see her, I'm sure, than she was to see me. Did but... she stare at you? Did you stare at her? Oh, I'm sure I was gawking open mouth, mm-hmm. which is why she probably chooses to live in my Swiss friend's neighborhood and not in mine. Oh, there you go. <laughs> There you go. Well, also, big celebration this week, because it was the 300th episode of Grey's Anatomy. Like season 14 or something? Well, all I can tell you is that's a lot of episodes. And two things. There was only one person that they actually brought back from the past to be in the episode, and it was Grey's mother. Oh, Kate Burton. Yeah, she was the only one. And she only has this cameo at the very, very end. And it's supposed to be this surprise cameo. And interestingly enough, you know, Betsy Beers, who, of course, is the person behind with Shonda Rhimes, all of it, they were upset because they didn't realize that she was put in the credits, which run at the beginning. And so oh. it sort of gave away that she was going to be in it. And they, it, by the time they realized it was too late to take it out. But Shonda Rhimes was asked um, how long she'll continue. And she said Grace will continue until Ellen Pompano quits. Very interesting. <laughs> I mean, know, it's amazing that her first show has lasted longer than all her other newer I know. shows. But nothing, but also imagine being the person somebody says that about. I mean, that is just too cool for school. Well, when you're the titular character, I guess it, right. it does make sense. But I'm glad they brought Kate Burton back because I always thought her character was super interesting. I missed her when she left, even though she reappeared on Shonda Rhimes' show. I was just going to say Shonda used her again later on. That's true. That's As true. she is wont to do. Mm-hmm. And then, did you hear the news that Apple outbid Netflix, which is so funny since Netflix had all the money, right? But they've outbid. Apple has outbid Netflix. I don't think Apple is exactly short on cash. Well, but, exactly. Okay. But they, well, they have. This is their first entree into the much anticipated combination of um, Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston, which they're going to do a show. It's going to come out in early 2019, and it's going to be a morning talk show competition between two women hosts. It's based on. CNN's Top of the Morning, which I've never seen, but now I have to check it out. They also signed Spielberg to make an amazing stories anthology. So they, I mean, the way I figured it is, I looked it up, they have $270 billion in cash. That's a lot Mm -hmm. of film. (laughs) Yes, Yes, it is. And I was excited when I first heard about this, and you reminded me that Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon last appeared on TV together as sisters on Friends. Yes? Hi. Is Rachel here? I'm her sister. Oh my God, Jill! Oh my God, Rachel! Oh, oh my God, introduce us. <laughs> well, this is Chandler. Hi. And you know Monica. 
I got Ross, hey, and that's Joe. Phoebe, and that's Joey. Hey, how you doing? Don't! <laughs> Much as I would love to talk about Tina Turner or Reese Witherspoon or Jennifer Aniston, I'm thinking you probably have something to say about Kevin Spacey. <laughs> you know, I've been thinking about it all week, and my, you know great actor, the one that probably, you know, I feel about Kevin Spacey, um, I felt about Kevin Spacey a little bit the way I feel about Aaron Sorkin. And I think his talent is overwhelming. And so I got a bunch of emails and people posted things saying, you know, are you okay, Hollister? (laughs) You know, and sort of tongue in cheek. And I thought about making jokes about, well, you know, I can't, I'm taken to my bed and I can't get out of bed. And but the truth is, this is really serious stuff. And so mm-hmm. I feel devastated for the people who uh, who were silent for years and years and years. I feel tragedy around the fact that thousands of people knew about these things, not just with Kevin Spacey, but with all of it, with Weinstein. I mean, there's so many now. It's like it's it's a, a plethora of people to be attacked, you know, to, to attack. And so... I guess it's sort of like this secret that everybody knew but me. And um, I just want to say that we live in the shadows of reality, not reality. And so whatever you want to light your shadow up with is what you do. And certainly, you know, the signs are there. I will tell you that last weekend you were gone, couldn't talk to you. I was a mess. And I watched a bunch of performances by him. I watched the first episode of the second season, for example, of House of Cards. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's his, the edge is there. It's in his performance. It's, you know, um, it's all, it's all there. So I am devastated for those who have suffered, not just under his hand, but so many hands. And I am devastated for those of us who have lived in the shadows of reality happily, and now really have to join into the sunlight of what our life and our nation and everything else is like, and we're just going to have to friggin' fix it, and that's it. So, um, you know, I, I'm nothing more to say on the topic. Do you have anything you want to add? Well, it is true what you say that so many people now are falling in a very Frank Underwood kind of way. You know, that Netflix, my understanding is they've written him completely out of House of Cards. Like, they I'm are. assuming yeah. they're just, okay. Ridley Scott has cut all his scenes from the soon-to-be-released All the Money in the World. That Which, was by the wrapped. way, they were, they were touting him as an Academy Award contender, yep. That's right. So that's supposed to hit theaters on December 22nd, and Ridley Scott just reshot all of Spacey's scenes with Christopher Plummer playing the oil tycoon J. Paul Getty. You know, and now the allegations against Louis C.K. and his film, which was another awards contender, I Love You, Daddy, which premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival, that was supposed to be released November 17th. So that's been yanked. You know, the allegations against Jeremy oh, Piven, Stephen Hoffman Seagal. On the, yeah, on the, on the set of uh, Kramer versus Kramer. I didn't hear that one. So Well, who... it's, not about, it's not about sexual assault, but it's about, it's about uh, behavior that is um, based on power and, and physicality that's not okay. But here's mm-hmm. the thing. I've decided none of that's interesting to me. What's interesting is that thousands of people knew about it. Thousands, you know, hundreds of people have suffered from it over the years from all of these people. And again, it was reality. We just pre- pretended it wasn't. And 
So, and I hope those days are over. We have to stop living in the shadows of reality when, where it's the safer place to be. It has to happen. I know. And even Louis C.K.'s plot, I Love You, Daddy, it sounded pretty creepy and pretty similar to some well, of the allegations out against him. I yeah. didn't either. Yeah. He wasn't my thing. But I'm sure you saw where the district attorney in L.A., Jackie Lacey, she's established a special task force now of prosecutors to evaluate and work out the Hollywood sex abuse cases. Yeah, but see, again, uh, you know, my focus is not on these individuals who all all belong in jail. My focus is on the fact that enablers make them safe. And if you take away the enablement, I don't even know if that's a word, but to me, the focus should be on, you knew, how could you not say anything? And the focus needs to be on you. You cannot be a silent bystander in your life anymore. On any, you know, whether it's politics, which is at the forefront of it all, women's issues, harassment, there's so many elements right now that are coming out of the closet. So, And to me, it's not an either or, but it certainly shows the power of speaking out as a group. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, I don't like that group thing, though, either, to tell you the truth. I I feel like there's a little bit of a mob mentality, and I feel like we're sort of in the, you know, witches of Eastwick, and... uh... I understand that point for sure, but when you look at the audition process in Hollywood, I can see how people stayed silent as one-offs when they're alone in a room with somebody with the power. You know, but I'm not a big fan of the Me Too. I'm just not, it's just not something that... um, I just think it's time to state your case when it's happening and when it's appropriate and that it has to stop and people cannot enable anyone. And that's the end of it. You know, so, mm-hmm. um, I agree. Juliana Margulies had some interesting comments about it and on happier news. Did you see where she's going to be returning to television? Um, why would that be happier news? I've never been a fan. <laughs> How can you not be a fan of I'm Juliana sorry. Margulies? I'm sorry. I don't think she's great. I don't. Well, you know, yeah. I've always loved Juliana Margulies, as have the Emmys. She's going to join the cast of AMC's 10-episode series, Dietland, which is based on Saray Walker's book that came out a couple years ago. So she's going to play an ambitious magazine editor. I can't wait to see it. Good, good for yeah, good for her. I can't wait to see it. I hope I like her better in this because I just you know thought she was plastic in in uh, in the series that you love so much. So there's no accounting for taste. I know. And I, yet, which by the way leads me to Mine Hunters. Hello. Okay, so Lalo, thank you. Did for you com- just compare Juliana Margulies to serial killers? Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'll bring anybody to a series. You know that. <laughs> Not a problem. Okay, but Lalo came to my rescue. You and I had a discussion, which a couple people, by the way, commented was a little hostile, but who cares what they think, right? I so care. She, she sent the following uh, following set of, of uh, notes to us. So talking about Mindhunter, she liked it too, by the way. What a surprise. O'Toole, I remember you mentioned the show didn't have any female characters. It's true, but to be fair, there were probably not many women at the FBI at the time. And then she said, wait, now I've watched more episodes, and I would say that women are the intellectual force behind the show. They are the only two important female characters, but one of them is the doctor who helps the FBI agents to organize their research and to translate what they're getting out of the criminals they interview. And the other one is the agent's girlfriend, who is a grad student, and the person who first suggested that he could use sociological theories to try to understand the serial killers. So again, I want to point out that if you just had stuck with it a little bit longer, you would have found your female protagonist. Well, Hollister, I'm very glad that there are some female characters that appear in this series. Just I'm to, glad too, yeah. Right, but just to clarify, you know, there's so many good shows out there to watch in so few hours in the day. So when I first tuned in and it opens... And, 
you know, there's yet another woman being attacked by a man with a weapon to her throat. And I realize it's about serial killers in that time period with that many male characters. You know someone like me is just going to switch the channel and head over to something like a Juliana Margulies vehicle like Dietland. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, then. It's a good thing we don't like the same things, or this could be very boring, right? It's Absolutely. It's a good thing we don't share a TV. Right. <laughs> well, that's true, too. It's not easy butchering people. It's hard work. Physically and mentally, I don't think people realize you need to vent. We also got an email from Erica, and she recommended the documentary Restless Creature about the ballerina Wendy Whalen. She said it's now streaming on Netflix and on iTunes. Well, good. Yeah. I mean, you know, it matters. Stuff like that matters. Ballet can be tough on the body. And to be a ballet dancer at 47, I do feel the ticking clock. Which, of course, leads us to um, to the first series we're going to review today. So revisiting twice in one year Margaret Atwood's work, you know, first with The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu and now with Netflix, Alias Grace, which just launched. She has been on fire. I was convicted of murder when I was a young girl. I have been an inmate for 15 long years. If there has been a crime, people want a guilty person. Rightly or wrongly, does not matter. I can't help but wonder at the enormity and the serendipity of two stellar tales about women abused legally in a world that shows little value for them happening to come out in this period of time uh, when they were taped, certainly a year. I mean, it's not like they got it out in a hurry because of what's happening in the world. So what are the odds? I mean, okay, so... Well, with Margaret Atwood, I'm going to say the odds are pretty high. <laughs> well, I mean, you I know. know when you read one of her novels, it's not going to be a happy, clappy But it's been 25 years, romp. and they haven't done any of her work, and all of a sudden they do it now, and it launches now, and right now is when all this... It's just it's just serendipitous. So, But back to Alias Grace, okay, which is this fictionalization of a historical character, uh, Grace Marks, who was a notorious figure in the 1840s. Um, and she was imprisoned for 28 years for her part in this murder of um, this man, Thomas Kinnear, and um, and his housekeeper, who he was having an affair with, Nancy Montgomery. But no one was sure if she was the mastermind of the killings or if she was just an accessory against her will. And you've given up hope of being set free. I saved my hopes for smaller matters. I live in hopes of having a better breakfast tomorrow than I had today. So I get an email from um, O'Toole from Europe saying, you know, I've watched Alias Grace. We could do that. And I email her back and say, oh, did you watch all the episodes? And she emails back and, I, and says yes, which, oh, by the way, is a, definitely a plot spoiler that probably O'Toole really liked it. Not um, necessarily. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I have to begin with asking you and putting this in front of you, was the thing that hooked you, was it Emily Dickinson's poem at the beginning of the first episode episode, and the beginning of the last episode? The episodes did start with some great quotes by some greats. Unbelievable great poetry, yeah. Longfellow, Nathaniel Hawthorne, Emily Dickinson. Tennyson. The, the truth is, I was staying with Swiss friends, and they're very thorough. <laughs> it was a very good development that Netflix is now available in Europe, but not everything that you can watch in the States. So we were looking for something new, and I knew a lot of our listeners had been asking about whether or not we were going to review Alias Grace. And I was drawn to it because of the Canadian team behind it. So the story takes place in Kingston, but you've got Margaret Atwood, Sarah Pauly, whose work has always been interesting. And 
Sarah Gadden, who we reviewed in A Royal Night Out, a great actress. And by the way, actress. she was great in this. Absolutely spectacular. And Anna Paquin. So the fact that she went from playing Queen Elizabeth as a young princess to an Irish housemaid, an immigrant in Canada, accused of murder and locked up in prison, when it started, to me, it almost felt like a period piece version of Orange is the New Black. And I thought, okay. I hope sooner or later we will bring back your memory. I'm not at all sure I want it back. Well, the production values were so high that it kept us watching the cinematography. One of my friends watching with us is from the Netherlands, and I had to say, every scene was filmed like a Dutch painting. The mise-en-scene in this series was just really unbelievably good. Well, Very high production values. I, I, I watched the entire series. I thought it was sl- a slow go, or a slow grow, as I like to say. It was a slow grow, well worth the time nurturing and watering it because the cinematography is amazing. But what struck me, and I'm sure it's because of what's happening in the world today, but what struck me is every single man in it, and there are six men that I'm referring to, could not see um, Grace Marks beyond her sexuality. Her father, you know, all three men, you know, toward the end, every single guy could not get by these women's sexuality and see them for anything other than that. And I don't know if Margaret Atwood is married or not. I hope she is. I hope she's... Oh, she's she's married to a famous writer. Okay, well, there you go. Uh, But there's something about it that really is the dark side of men and sort of sitting in it. Um, and showing the power they have versus the power women have. I mean, it's really one of those wrenching moments when you realize that whether she did it or not, I didn't even care. You know, it was sort of like, how can everybody not be able to look at her in any other way but how she makes them feel physically? And it was it was uh, extremely powerful and beautifully, beautifully woven and beautifully written. I thought the dialogue was excellent. <laughs> Strange to reflect that of all the people living in that house, I was the only one of them left alive in six months' time. As you say, there are definitely some very dark themes of incest and abuse, and I could have done without images like the severed leg or the axe to the neck of Anna Paquin. But it was done very well. It was definitely slow, but I was intrigued to see how on earth is this going to end. But I thought the last episode was the weakest. Huh, that's interesting. I didn't think so. I thought the last episode was excellent. Interesting. Really? Grace said she heard her dad speak to her. mind what really happened? Well, I think it's not supposed to be clear in my mind at all. Like, I don't think, I think, and I think Margaret Atwood wrote it that way. For I went and did a little homework. I haven't read the book, but I did do some due diligence. Nobody really knows whether she did or not. They thought you could find answers. It is knowledge of me you crave, Doctor. Knowledge with a lurid glare to it. Knowledge gained through a descent into the pit. You want to go where I can never go. We don't really know. No one knows whether she did or not. But I thought there was a standout performance that made the whole thing. Do you agree? And who do you think it is? Well, I thought Sarah Gadden was terrific. Yeah, she was. But the, but there was a performance, I think, that made it... The, the character was so not slow-moving. 
and you could see the stress and every. I I felt that Edward Holcroft, who plays Simon Jordan, the doctor who's interviewing her and telling the story really with her, I thought he was standout, and he made things that could have ended up being a little bit boring. I think his reaction to them perked you right up. I thought he did an excellent job in terms of bringing out her story and giving it some context with his reactions to it. I'm a doctor. I work with the mind. It is not a question of your guilt or innocence that concerns me. I simply wish to know what you yourself can actually remember. I wasn't quite sure about his accent. And I wasn't quite sure about his performance, but I definitely liked that storytelling structure where it it reminded me of in treatment and then they have flashbacks. But, you know, he played Alex in London Spy, which you and I reviewed. Mm -hmm. He was in Kingsman, The Golden Circle, Wolf Hall. And he was also in Vampire Academy because watching him in this, I thought he really does have the perfect facial structure to be in a vampire vehicle. Um, And it's so funny because I always think of Margaret Atwood as a writer from the 60s. Oh, but the really? truth is, she wrote this in '97. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is—if you think about it being written in '97, it gives it a whole different context, you know. All right, now I'm—I, you know, this is—I have a burning question. Ready? Hashtag burning question for okay. O'Toole. Ready? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you don't like Manhunter when the beginning is a man assaulting her, but you will eat up six episodes of Lizzie Borden blood all over the place. I just. And a couple of rapes or or trying to be rapes. And no offense, but I'm not sure you're consistent in your POV on this stuff. Okay, well, Halster, first of all, it could have been a Freudian slip because I think you meant Mindhunter and not Manhunter. But, you know, I would consider myself more of a congenial guest. You know, it wasn't my remote <laughs> control, but again, oh, the oh, difference... Oh, does that mean you wouldn't have stayed... You wouldn't have... Do you, would you not have watched it if you'd been on your own? No, I would have watched the pilot and I would have just switched off. However, oh, okay. when you watch a Margaret okay. Atwood adaptation, and she and Sarah Pauly share the writing credits together on this, mm-hmm. I know what yeah. I'm getting myself into. And, yeah, okay. you know, I definitely am going to bring your lavender spritz, as you would say, to kind of do a little cleanse after going through a Margaret Atwood well, book or now TV show. Well, I did think of you a couple TV times show. and I thought, huh, I'm not quite getting this. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, it wouldn't have been my first choice. A series that I did finish watching on my own, and I was completely in control of that remote control, was Liar. Hi. Can hurt me now. That was your big date. It was good, mate. Laura, what's happened? And I'm wondering if you watched all six episodes of that. Of course I did. What are you kidding? Uh, yes. So I enjoyed that more. But though I thought that ending was a little quick too. Well, it, you know, when it was too neat and tidy in a thing that was totally untidy, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and, you know, there was at, at the very last minute, we can't give it away because people are still watching it, I'm sure. But at the very last minute, something happens like, oh, but you know what? Uh, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't love the ending, but I loved the story. I did. I thought it was excellent. Mm-hmm. And again, very timely. Sadly. Yeah. Sadly. Yes. Um, okay. So I would. I would recommend this. But now, are you saying maybe you wouldn't? Well, I think if people like The Handmaid's Tale, I enjoyed uh-huh. The Handmaid's Tale more. But if you're a Margaret Atwood fan, or if you're looking for uh-huh. high production values. I don't think you can really go wrong with this, as long as you know what you're getting into. Um, well, good. So, and so now we're going to move from, you know, this possible killer to um, Lady Bird Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> not well, because not exactly common, right? Lady Bird Johnson, just Lady Bird, and you're going to do okay, LBJ. Well, the name of the movie is Lady Bird, but it's about Lady Bird Johnson, right? No, it's not. No. <laughs> 
Wait, you went to a movie that I thought was about Lady Bird Johnson and it's not? Well, you went to a movie that I know is about LBJ, but no, it's not about Lady Bird Johnson. They just share that same unusual name. Oh my gosh, now I'm my now I'm all ears. I thought I was gonna hear a, you know, retro on Lady Bird. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Yeah, so this is writer director Greta Gerwig's first solo outing. And speaking about the name Lady Bird. She said it just came to her one day when she was writing, but then later she realized she recalled the nursery rhyme about Ladybird, Ladybird, fly away home. Your house is on fire, your children shall burn. This is actually, it's a coming of age high school story. It shows the highs, the lows, the blemishes and all. So it's a little bit like Glee meets Juno. So you're not interested in any Catholic colleges? No way. I want schools like Yale, but not Yale because I probably couldn't get in. <laughs> you definitely couldn't get in. And this one, like Alias Grace, also opens with a quote. And this is the quote. It's by Joan Didion. Anybody who talks about California hedonism has never spent a Christmas in Sacramento. <laughs> Greta Gerwig is from Sacramento, as is Joan Didion. And there are lines in the movie like, Sacramento is the Midwest of California. <laughs> so as I was watching this, not necessarily the character itself or the facts, but the emotional truth of the story really felt to me like Greta Gerwig's origin story. Hmm. Because, you know, she's from Sacramento. She went to New York. She was obviously interested in drama. I hate California. I want to go to the East Coast. I want to go where culture is, like How New in the York, world did I raise such or at least snob. Connecticut or New Hampshire, where writers you live in the world. Get into those schools anyway. Mom, you should just go to City College. You know, with your work ethic, just go to City College and then to jail and then back to City College and then maybe you'd learn to pull yourself up and not expect everybody to do everything. <laughs> She said in an interview that she wanted to write something about home and growing up and how home doesn't come into focus until you're leaving. So this is a quote by Greta Gerwig, which I thought was super interesting. One person's coming of age is always another person's letting go. It is the mother's movie as much as the daughter's movie, a love letter to home as much as it is about leaving home behind. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's, I like that. That's really nice. Yeah. yeah, it definitely feels very Greta Gerwig-esque. It's a chat fest, but it feels authentic and sincere and quirky. I think it benefits from not being like what Hollywood is pumping out so often. You know, it's not a comic book-driven movie. There are no special effects. It's, it's character-driven. And a little bit like how Woody Allen writes and directs his own movies, and even when he's not the star, you know how there's a character who reminds you very much of Woody Allen, whether it be Owen Wilson or what have you. Here, the fabulous Saoirse Ronan, the Irish actress, plays what I think is kind of a younger version of Greta Gerwig's emotional truth. Just wanted it to be special. Why? You're gonna have so much unspecial sex in your life. And the cast of Lady Bird is phenomenal. So you've got the two-time Oscar nominee, Saoirse Ronan, who we last saw in Brooklyn. And this role is transformative. She went from being the poster for Brooklyn with that translucent skin to hear the makeup artist managed to give her skin issues, you know, because she's playing an American teenager with the American accent. She has a very conflicted relationship with her mother, played by Lori Metcalf, who was great in this. Does mom hate me? If you're tired, we can sit down. I'm not tired. You were dragging your feet. You are so infuriated. You stop yelling. I'm not yelling. Oh, oh it's perfect. Do you love it? You both have such strong personalities 
You know her from The Big Bang Theory, where she plays Mary Cooper. She was also on Roseanne. Tracy Letts plays the father. So Tracy Letts is Greta Gerwig's favorite playwright, and you and I have spoken about him so many times on this podcast, but he's known Laurie Metcalf for 30 years. They were together at Steppenwolf Theater Company. They're both from the Midwest. And Greta Gerwig was so excited because she said, you know, when two actors have known each other for so long, there's also an authenticity there when they play the parents of Saoirse Ronan. And it also had Lois Smith in it, who starred in Marjorie Prime. What I'd really like is to be on Math Olympiad. But math isn't something you're terribly strong in. That we know of yet. So the whole cast was just fantastic. It was brought to us by A24, a small production company, but boy, do they pump out films that really catch our notice around awards season. I know, but I I have to ask the following question. I mean, here uh we go. Your criticism of Mindhunter was that there were no female characters. Well, see, you, you, you say this again in such stark terms, but it didn't hold my interest because I saw a woman being attacked, and as I scrubbed through, it was predominantly male characters. Okay, so... Would a, a, a male watching this say, "Where where's the mirror image of me? He might. I mean, you know, this is... But don't you think it's interesting that right now, a lot of films, a lot of TV are coming out where, you know, we don't need you guys to do anything unless we're going to have a baby and we're not in this movie. I mean, this is definitely a cosmic shift in how we're approaching film. film we've never had this many films out done by women, totally about women, where men are not even secondary figures in some well, of them. Well, it's not totally done without men. I mean, Tracy Letts plays the father. Lucas Hedges, who we thought was so good in Manchester by the Sea, plays her first love interest. So there's yeah, definitely... You mentioned him in, in your description of it, so for the love interest... So it couldn't have been a big part of it all. Oh, no, it's a big part. It's just it was such a good cast, and each person had such a rich character. She has a big heart, your mom. She's warm, but she's also kind of scary. You can't be scary and warm. I think you can. Your mom is. Um, Don't you think maybe, you know, you know how I care about titles. Maybe Lady Bird's the wrong name for this. I thought it was great because it definitely was that quirky tone and it's a plot point where she Yeah, but don't you think anybody over the age of 50 is going to think it's about Lady Bird Johnson? They might, but I think anyone who watches the trailer immediately gets it. Lady Bird, is that your given name? Yeah. Why is it in quotes? I gave it to myself. It's given to me by me. Lady Bird always says that she lives on the wrong side of the tracks, but I always thought that that was like a metaphor. But there are actual train tracks. Yeah, I don't think people go based on watching trailers. I think, I th- they, look, I think... they look at trailers based on the name of a film. And I, I think, I, I don't know, I, I don't think, I think Lady Bird is already, the, the space for that for that title is taken by now, a person. I think most people look at the poster and they see Saoirse Ronan's face. And so they already have an idea of the age of the character and it is about a girl. And I think most people at least watch the trailer before they well, commit. See, I, I don't, I know that that, I don't think that can be true because if you go to Fantango, which is the biggest um, uh, website and app that's used for it, what they do is you go to the theater you want to go to and you see what's playing and the picture of the poster is not in it. So you click on the title. Oh, it's not? No, it's not on on the app on your phone. So um, it is when you click on it, but when you just see the list of films, you don't see the poster. So if I just saw that as, I don't click on a title unless it, so if it says Thor in it, I don't click on it. And I certainly don't look at any pictures. So I don't know if what you're saying is right or not, but I do think that 
that I don't, I think that anybody over 50 is just too embedded in my head, you know? Interesting. One interesting thing about the real life Lady Bird Johnson, LBJ proposed to her the day he met her. I was always fascinated by that, and she thought he was out of his mind. But three months well, later, they was, were married. Way, out of his so. mind. <laughs> Which leads us right into LBJ, because that actual moment is in the LBJ film. There will be no compromise. This is about making President Kennedy's vision a reality. I'm not quite sure how to even start except for to say that there are three things about LBJ, the movie, that insist that you go see it. One is that it appears in time as if we're going back to what was gained then to try to get to what we thought was gained, but really was just shoved down everybody's throat and never went away. So the juxtaposition between what LBJ was fighting for to get the Civil Rights Acts through versus what we're going through now in terms of racial issues in this country shows that that there's an entire section that's very, very difficult in between and that clearly there was a simmering pot of, of Americans that were not okay with what happened way back then. So it's worth it just to see it for that. Secondly, it's worth it because Rob Reiner, I mean, if you look at the last few movies he's done, you know... I didn't think he had this in him anymore. You know, we're not looking at, at films, uh, you know, recently that that are, are from such serious subjects, and he does it beautifully. You know, the nuances, his humor, his, his passion, his intellect, it's in every single scene. So, I mean, there's this one scene where, uh, you know, LBJ was known to go to the bathroom with the door open while people were sitting in his office, and, and people said it was a power play. If I'm gonna make a run in 68, I'm gonna need people to like me. Shut the door. How could anybody not like him? And then the third reason to go is Woody Harrelson. Who knew Woody Harrelson had this in him? He's amazing, absolutely amazing. Really? And now, what about the rest of the cast? Because there's some more heavy hitters in this, like Jennifer Jason Leigh. Everybody's great, but he's so big in every scene that you can't really see anybody else. You know, you you, you see Woody Harrelson and pretty much that's it. And the guy who's playing Robert Kennedy, I've seen Kennedy played better. Della gets to meet with Kennedy right now. Jack or Bob? Teddy. Christ, this place is infested. Kennedy doesn't, Robert Kennedy doesn't look so good in this, by the way. He doesn't, uh, and the and the movie is based on, you know, H2, as those of you who listened forever to uh, Screen Thoughts knows that H2 refers to my second husband. Um, but H2, when he read the Caro trilogy on LBJ, he sent me a text um, long after we were divorced, we're still friends, and he said, if you read nothing else, you have to read Carol's trilogy on LBJ, which of course I didn't do. And um, <laughs> now I want to go back and do it, because he, it's a section of the trilogy that's pulled out, and the detail's enormous. So it is so worth your while to go. And also, you feel like you're in the 60s again. It's shot, it's in color, but there's something 60s about the color. I don't know what it is. I wish you had seen it so you would be able to tell me, but I don't know how he shot it or what he did to shoot it to make it look like that, but it's just well worth your while. And one other cast member I want to ask about, because you know I love him, is Richard Jenkins, who played Senator Russell. Was his part just a little one? Well, those Kennedys must really hate you. <laughs> those Harvard boys not going to tell us how to run the state of Georgia. No, no part is little. No, it's a, it's a really strong part. And also, he's he, Richard Jenkins is 
excellent in it, and he shows great depth without a lot of uh, a lot of dialogue. He doesn't have as much dialogue as others, but he is an integral part of reactionary dialogue. If that's a you know a thing you could talk about, so I highly recommend this film. Don't miss it. Do not miss it. And if you have kids and they're in their teens, take them to it. Please, please, please take them to it. And then you can stop by Ladybird. <laughs> right. Make, make it a double do feature. Yeah. By the way, she was a little boring. And they, you know what? That's one mistake he made was with the Ladybird positioning. I don't know why he did this, but every time she was in a scene, he just did a close up of her while she just sort of looked askance. <laughs> Oh boy. And after a while, I was like, oh, did you use the same shot a little while ago? <laughs> that was the only time I was sort of like, what's going on here? You know, this isn't really working for me. Kennedy, he's a man of great ideas. Now the country needs a man who can deliver. Maybe he should have gotten Greta Gerwig to fix that in his movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great film, really, really good. And by the way, it was one of those films where the audience clapped in a big way at the end of it because they felt that it had, had done such a good job. So here we are with LBJ and Presidents and everything else, which leads us to our list of six. Yes. Okay, you want an intro? Okay, so we decided in honor of LBJ to do our six favorite presidential portrayals. Here's, I might have a little bit of a problem here. Do they have to be, can they be fictional presidents? Oh, sure. Okay, good. Hollister, since you and I are the ones making up the rules, okay. I just want to make sure Mm -hmm. that I was within the lines. Okay. Do you want to kick it off or you want me to? Yeah, well, it's interesting what you say with your question because I find that so often when someone has to portray a president on the big or small screen, it usually throws me out of the story because in our history, which hasn't been that long, we haven't had that many presidents. And so If they're supposed to be portraying one who we've known, that's tricky because there's such large figures in our history. And if they're not playing one that we know, that's a little weird too, to have someone unfamiliar in the Oval Office. So you'll note from my picks, I tended to go the comedic route generally. So my first one, I'm going to go with Dave, the 19... Oh my God, I had that one too. Really? (laughs) Did you? That's so funny. Yes. That's so funny. Yeah. So directed by Ivan Reitman, who brought us Ghostbusters, the original, and starring Kevin Kline as Dave Dave. and Sigourney (laughs) Weaver. Dave Kovic was an ordinary guy. Mr. Kovic, your government needs your help. We just happened to look like the president. You're a very handsome man. Thank you, Mr. President. Just get rid of the grin. Best moment in Dave is when the accountant comes to the White House and when he's leaving, he says, get out of here. Leave as fast as you can. (laughs) I mean, it's one of those great moments, right? Didn't you think? It was great. And you know what? It reminded me, though, not to sound too flip, but do you remember the leader of Israel who fell into a coma? Sharon? Yeah. I didn't know he fell into a coma, but yeah. Did we ever hear what happened to him after? No, I didn't know you even went into oh, there, it, so I there had no you idea. Go. I assume he died, but I have no idea. Okay, so Halster, what do you have on your list? Okay, so what? So you should be able to guess this one. Who, I'm going to go I with pop- American President, written by Aaron Sorkin. It's not an American president. It's the American president, please. <laughs> with Michael Douglas and your favorite... Annette Benning. 
The president's expecting our full support. Yes, he is. The Sydney. president's dreaming, AJ. The president Sydney has critically misjudged reality. If he honestly thinks that the environmental community is going to whistle a happy tune while rallying support around this pitifully lame mockery of environmental leadership, then your boss is the chief executive of Fantasyland. Good morning, Mr. President. How are you today? I couldn't be better. My apologies for the interruption. Mr. President, I don't know what to say. I'm speechless. All evidence the contrary. Yeah, I, I mean, how could I not? It's also the basis from which uh, the West Wing was, was taken. And Martin Sheen, who plays the chief of staff, uh, then went on to play the president in um, the West Wing. So what else you got? Okay, that was on my list as well because... Oh, great. Oh, my gosh, that's so funny. Yep. So I'm going to switch over to TV and I'm going to go with commander in chief played by Gina Davis in 2005. Somebody explain to me how we can get the North Koreans to stick to an agreement, but we can't get a two-term congressman to honor his word for more than 24 hours? God, I love that. Why did they take that off the... It was like six episodes and they dumped it. What's you wrong know, with them? Maybe it was before its time, because remember she won the Golden Globe for Best Actress and the yes. show had already been canceled. I know. And I, it, I, I couldn't help but think that if uh, if it had been after the Hillary election, it would have it would have had staying power. I thought it was so well done. I love that choice. Love that choice. Oh, maybe they could bring it back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to end with her. All the President's Men. Oh interesting yeah I you know I just I don't know you know Nixon I I worked for Nixon and the summer he was elected the summer they broke in in fact who knows what my money I worked for him all summer I was paid and I gave the money to the campaign really yeah so I probably paid for some broken lock or something somewhere oh (laughs) dear well Hollister I I know I know president in that I just remember Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford playing Carl Bernstein and Bob You don't have to. The president is behind everything. I mean, he's in every scene. He's just not physically there, but it's about President Nixon's demise, don't you think? He's up to a meta level. I'm very impressed. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah, that's me. You know, always consider me at that level. very presidential of you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, do you have any more? Is that it? Those were my three since we did overlap, but Uh there were two others that I thought you might mention. One. See, I thought Lincoln. We should have mentioned Lincoln because it was such a big movie, but I didn't. So since we didn't, Daniel have Day six, Lewis we, was great in it, but you know, I wasn't a huge fan of the movie. But yeah. I thought you might yeah. mention Brian Cranston in All the Way on HBO, where he played Lyndon I B. Johnson. I didn't see it. Yep, I didn't he did see it on Broadway should first. He won the Tony for it. I haven't seen it, but I know you're a Brian Cranston fan, or at least you, you loved him in Trumbo. Mm-hmm. And then I thought you might mention the John Adams series with Paul Giamatti. Well, I loved that too, but to tell you the truth, I didn't think of it, or I probably would have. But it really wasn't about a president. In fact, it ends, I mean, it's a huge, long, long, long series, and we don't even have a president of these United States because we don't have a United States yet until the very end, so I probably wouldn't have done I it. i got to say, though, I loved David McCullough's book on which it was based I thought that was yeah. fabulously yeah, interesting. Amazing. So um, so our list of presidential sixes. There you go, right? That's right. And, okay, let us know your write-in candidates at comments at screenthoughts.net. Yes, looking forward to hearing from everybody and talk to you all next week. 